0: I've also fallen in love with the GoPro in my new sermon method. Put it on a tripod and kill the wide angle so it doesn't get all fishy
1: and oh. You know, oh wait, I, I got it. I got it. I totally yeah. got this. <laughs> I am not a, I'm not a mechanical person. I I hope this all somehow ends up in the podcast. Should
0: <laughs> Alright <laughs> how do Lutheran pastors adapt to technology? technology? That's really what the point of this podcast is. I got two. I got my small catechism and my Lutheran study Bible. Oh, wow. What's up? It's even got my name on it. What? <laughs>
1: That's how you know you're like really legit. Reverend G. Mark Griffith. Wait, Reverend G.? What? I didn't know that Mark Mark's your middle name? Gangsta. Gangsta. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, and welcome to God for Grown-Ups. I'm Dan. My co-host B is away this week. Joining us instead is our special guest and returning uh, guest, uh, Mark Griffith of St. Luke's Lutheran in Bellevue. Welcome, Mark.
0: Hey, Dan. Great to be here. Fun, uh, fun to be back. Had a great conversation last time. Looking forward to
1: this one. Absolutely. So today's conversation is virtual communion. That is, whether it's acceptable to celebrate Holy Communion by way of the internet through bits and bytes, or whether it has to be in quarks and atoms. (laughs) What do you think, Mark?
0: Boy, I don't know. I think I was really surprised that this became kind of the issue of the day as we were dealing with this pandemic response and all of these other really important questions that somehow for clergy, this became a really... I don't know, hot button issue or, you know, there's been a lot of really interesting conversation debate. And I've, I've even seen that elevated into some furious conversations lately. So I think, Hey, I think just that's interesting in itself that we are so impassioned about this particular topic.
1: Yeah. I noticed that too. And I found it, I found it both curious and a little, uh, uh, I would say alarming or maybe disheartening. I noticed that In one case, for example, there was one article that came out where the author was quite passionate about virtual communion and felt that clergy were essentially trying to hold on to to power uh, by requiring people to come to church to receive the sacraments. And in the process of the article, the author used profanities or a profanity. And I thought, wow, this person is really fired up. And there are a lot of people like this person who feel the same way on both sides of this issue. I know you and I have
0: already spoken a little bit before, but just kind of a a healthy level of discourse and maybe even a healthy understanding of both the issue at hand and then what it means to disagree or not necessarily disagree, but just respond to our different communities differently and maybe that being okay. Um, I think the other thing that this issue is highlighting is What does it mean to be a leader in this era of coronavirus responses, where we are not able to physically gather, everything is kind of different, we're spending a lot more time on Zoom than we ever have before? What does it mean to be a leader in that environment, I think is also one of the big questions that this raises.
1: So, what is communion? Communion from a Lutheran perspective is the promise of God combined with Tangible physical elements, and we have uh, communion and baptism are the two sacraments. These are places where grace happens, as uh, Catherine Kleinhans puts it this way from Luther College that these are places where grace happens. They are places where we receive assurance and experience God in a special way, and that is where God has been promised. Luther has this very straightforward argument that I have always appreciated and it's this. God is everywhere. Christ, who is at the right hand of God, is therefore everywhere. But Christ is not everywhere for you. Christ is present for you in a special way where Christ has been promised, and that is in the waters of baptism and in, with, under, and through the bread and wine of Holy Communion. When we partake of the sacrament of communion, we are receiving the Christ presence. But not only that, we're, we're receiving the reassurance and the promise that God is for you in that very special way. My own understanding of communion is that if I have the, the, the benefit, the privilege of it, I hope to receive it on my deathbed. That's how important it is to me. But at the same time, I recognize that going without the sacrament is not something that undermines my faith. It does, it does help sustain my faith, but it's not, as Luther himself argued, it is not essential to our salvation. God's grace through faith in the gift of Jesus Christ alone saves and justifies, we experience the reassurance of that salvation in and through the preached word and the visible word, which is the sacrament. And my feeling, and this is where Mark and I will probably part ways on this issue. My feeling is that right now during the coronavirus outbreak right now, the preached word, the spoken word, the word of grace is sufficient on its own.
0: You're not going to get a disagreement with me there. I mean, I think you're right. I think that is sufficient. Um, and so yet, I think there are also other means of grace that we can employ um, in this time. Um, the, um, I don't know, I think it's an, it's an experience it's an encounter and it's receiving grace and faith when we step up to the rail and receive the body and blood of christ we're we're doing all of those things we're experiencing we're encountering and we're receiving Um, and to me that's the hallmark of the sacrament something that's it's tangible i can place it in my hand it's something i can eat and participate in in receiving and um there's the there's an assurance there's a um there's a, there's an orientation I think that happens when you receive the communion. It's a, it's an orientation to the word of God, to the way of faith and to a life of hope. And I think those are, those are pretty powerful promises for us in coronavirus world, whatever we, I don't know. This just seems like this strange land where we could use a little bit of a word of
1: hope. I, and, and I agree with that. I think the, the question is how, how do we receive that word of hope? Uh, what is, it's interesting. I've, I've always appreciated this, analogy that that communion is like it's like uh television waves um god is present everywhere the way television waves are you can't see them but that doesn't mean god isn't present uh but god uh, like television waves then becomes present to you in a special way the way the tv waves are focused on a on a channel uh and your television sure and you gotta so, be like tuned in for that yeah, you, you kind of have to be tuned that's the whole purpose is You're to be You're dangerously tuned in. making my case, Dan. I well that's what's so interesting <laughs> now is that I think this coronavirus situation uh, changes the way we look at that metaphor. Totally. That that but I guess for me I still want to I still kind of want to pull back a little bit and say <laughs> well the, the the issue here is that's a metaphor. I mean Right. I could talk about how the force there it is. Star Wars moment. Star <laughs> Wars moment. Yep. <laughs> but I could talk about how the force, like Obi-Wan Kenobi says, surrounds us, penetrates us and binds the galaxy together. In with an under, man. That's Luther. In with and, and under, right? But again, the question is, how does it become present to me? And, and so yep. I think there's an analogy there too, but in There's the a case
0: particularity of, that's important.
1: That's exactly it. And I think people, when people say things like, well, I can experience God on a mountaintop, I will say, well, of course you can. But that experience, say the experience of awe and wonder, is different than the experience of God by way of consolation and reassurance. That's not something that you experience necessarily on a mountaintop. The idea is that is something you are more likely to experience where God has promised to be present to you in that way. And so the, the question, though, is can that particular experience be uh occur through through technology uh virtually and and this is this is where you and i part ways then we agree that the spoken word is sufficient in and of itself yes and we also i think we also agree that that we experience grace the reassuring presence of god and so forth in other ways but my feeling is that is that There is a certain tangibility here of physicality. And that's what separates this brand of Protestantism from virtually every other Protestant expression of Christianity out there except the Episcopalians. And that is, in order for God to be experienced, it has to be in and through something that is real, in and through something that is tangible. And my fear is that by going this direction, as many people are, even for the time being— yeah. we are giving up this this conviction that it takes that the finite as early lutherans would say the finite is capable of the infinite but <laughs> i think what we do is we kind of move in a crypto calvinist direction by saying no that's not really necessary now we can simply do it over through well, the internet
0: i thought you wrote a really thoughtful pastoral response to your congregation and kind of outlining why your community is going to Refrain from communion for this time until you're able to be physically gathered. I thought that was well done, well written, and I think the the pastoral care came through in that really clearly. I thought that was that was great. What you're trying to do is uh, answer that question for them. I mean, maybe they don't even know how to say that out loud, but they're they're asking the question. What is what am I trying to achieve by receiving communion? even in a virtual environment, that's yeah. like, comfort care. I mean, all of those things that we, we hope to be able to deliver to our people regardless of where, whether we can be physically gathered or not.
1: So the, the, the crux of my response in that, or my, not my response, but uh, what I said to the congregation was that from a Lutheran perspective, it's not only that Christ is present on the table or on the altar and in with and under the bread and the wine it's also the case that christ is present at the table as the community that partakes in the sacrament and that yeah. i would argue that this pauline understanding of communion which is one that emphasizes the sharing is oftentimes overlooked and but when i say pauline of course i mean this is seems to be what Paul's perspective is on communion in his letters in the new Testament. And I, and I think that we really need to to keep both together and here's my fear. And this is where, this is where I, I think there's a lot at stake. My fear is that when we go online, we move in the direction of, of like the Catholic church of private masses. And it ends up being about the individual believer apart from the community and his or her uh, relationship with God. And I, I have to tell you, I was at a, uh, this is about four or five years ago. I was at a, a non-denominational church here in Seattle and I was, I was quite intrigued. I thought the preacher was really good. And then for communion, it was really interesting. They had you come up and instead of everyone gathering around the bread and the wine, each person simply received a cup, a paper cup of grape juice, a disposable cup of grape juice, And uh, and a little cracker. And you were supposed to then go back to your seat and basically commune by yourself, uh, thanks to this sort of bizarre drive through communion experience. And I think that's totally inimical to the to the purpose of communion. I've even seen
0: you can get like the uh, it looks like a little coffee creamer thing that you see at the restaurants with a little like sealed wafer tablet on the top of it and you can just like mail those out to your congregation or like, I don't know, stock those in a vending machine. That seems I've heard about that. Yeah. That seems terrible to me. Um, so just let me tell you, I guess in sum, I can tell you what I did for Easter. We've been doing uh, online worship YouTube, uh, pre-recorded worship services for the past several weeks. And for Easter, I rolled out a virtual communion. Uh, and that was the first time we had done that as a part of, um, so let me just tell you, I guess, in some how I responded to that. And then you can tell me why I was wrong theologically. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what I did was, I I think being gathered is, is really important. I think that we can gather virtually, though, online. I think in the Zoom environment, we are the gathered. Um, just, you know, we can be um, sitting essentially in, this, in the same place talking together. So what I did was... I offered a um, a Zoom communion for Easter. So at 10 o'clock, in addition to the pre-recorded service that we had launched, you could uh, join us in the Zoom environment for uh, for communion. And so the instructions were to have bread and wine or grape juice available. Um, I really I I said you know those are the only substances that will be appropriate. Don't do you know Cheetos and Pepsi or coffee and donuts or anything like that. Uh, I wanted to be reverent of the elements and make sure that was done well. And then um, and have those available. And so then we gathered. I said the words of institution, and people that were gathered virtually in the Zoom environment shared the the sacrament um, with one another, and um, we said the prayers. The other adaptation I made was for people who were unable to be in the Zoom environment. I sent them the communion instructions that we send with all of our. Um, Eucharistic ministers that typically visit shut-ins. And my case for that is we're now all essentially shut-ins. And so we designate those individuals to go, um, you know, kind of invoking the priesthood of all believers to go be pastors and priests for that community and not necessarily be the presider at the table, but be extensions of the table. So I always talk about my Eucharistic ministers as they're not necessarily the presider, they're the leaves in the table that make it bigger. And so Mm -hmm. I uh, sent those instructions out along with our written order of worship for people to use at home. And so then there was instructions about how to designate somebody to read these parts and how to distribute the meal and how to share in that. And this may be sleight of hand, but I think it's important. It's a little nuance. I said, um, in the words of institution component of that written order, I said, the script said anyway, when last we gathered, we heard these words. On the night in which he was betrayed, and so it, it, it's not necessarily them, whoever's you know presiding at the dinner, dinner table, um, saying the words of institution as as a presider, but they're echoing the presider and they're echoing the the sacrament for that community. So that's what we did for Easter. And, um, I gotta tell you, it was really well received. The people that were able to gather in zoom, um, were really touched to be able to do that. They felt connected in a, in a really powerful way. They felt united. And then, um, the people who were able to do that on their own with the instructions, you know, with their families and stuff, I mean, also felt like they were kind of part of this cosmic body of Christ that transcends time and space. I mean, invoking the, the cloud of witnesses that we read in Hebrews 12, you know, the, um, this the, the the cloud of witnesses and the priesthood I mean, it was just kind of a, a cosmic sense of of connection for them. That uh, it was really interesting to hear them
1: articulate. So your position is that you were the one who said the words of institution, which 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 is the words of Jesus before they have the last supper. Right. Where he identifies his presence with the the bread and the wine. And then the Eucharistic ministers were the people who simply reminded those gathered with them of the words that have already been said. So they echo it. They're kind of like sacramental echoes. Yeah, right, right. If I were to to think otherwise about the position I've already taken, that seems to me like probably the best case scenario. What I like about it is that you're already utilizing a channel that had been open a channel so to speak that had been open in your ministry already which is you already have eucharistic ministers going to shut-ins we have the same yeah and yeah. you're essentially treating everybody like a shut-in like they're yeah. homebound and they yeah. are in most cases a lot of cases we are yeah yeah i think i i guess where i i don't know i find that that that's quite persuasive i <laughs> i <laughs> i i could see where that that would be It certainly makes sense. I'll put it that way. Well, so let me tell
0: you that what I'm trying to honor anyway is the role of the ordained. I mean, being one that is ordained, I mean, and try not to be biased towards that, but also just like, you know, respecting the tradition into which I'm ordained. I try to respect the one that presides at the table by either being the one that presides at the table in Zoom or on an online environment or having people echo the words of the presider in their own homes. Um, But then also providing that sacramental, um, and I could, I understand the argument that maybe it's not sacrament, but um, providing that sacramental connection seemed important.
1: Yeah, let's, let's pause there. I think, are you comfortable saying that it's, it's not a sacrament? I mean, because I think there are going to be a lot of people, clergy, and in some cases, bishops, who are going to challenge you there and say, no, this is not a sacramental echo. This is the sacrament as such. And if they do, how would you respond to that?
0: You know, something else that really has informed my thought on this is our coming lectionary texts.
1: Um, You know, you're going to go with Luke 24. I knew you were going to pull that one out.
0: (laughs) No, I'm going to, I'm going to John
1: and the John uh, one or John 10, the coming
0: lectionary texts. Yeah. um, where Jesus meets the disciples in the locked room.
1: Oh, you're going with the uh, the the next the, one first Sunday the, after Easter, I'm yeah. Next back. Sunday's lectionary mm-hmm. texts,
0: yeah. Yep. The um, you know, so the the disciples are huddled in fear behind a locked door, and Jesus meets them. And I gotta tell you, I never thought I'd have that in common with the disciples, but here we all are hiding behind locked doors because we're afraid of what's out there, and nonetheless, the person of Jesus Christ, the wounded, crucified, and risen one meets them in this profound word, you know, moment. And I think to me that also has become a case for why I think we can gather for communion virtually. And in this, um, it's not the best case scenario, but um, I think, you know, it's, it's a means of grace that people are really resonating with.
1: So your use of John 20 where Jesus gathers with or meets the the disciples in what Luke calls the upper room. Right. Yeah. I think illustrates the problem I have with with your position. Sure. And and here's why. He doesn't in that case at least have a meal with them. Now there are um, moments where we hear about Jesus having a meal with I mean he breaks the bread with two of the disciples in in the, on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24 and then yeah. he eats with uh with those gathered in Jerusalem in the same I believe in the same chapter. And but then in breakfast this on the beach he broils fish. Right, right. Yeah. But in in this case there is no eating yet Christ is still present and right. I think that's really important for people to understand that the presence of Christ is not predicated on the frequent celebration of the Eucharist. The presence of Christ goes beyond that. And I fear that people are conflating the two to such a degree that they're turning the Eucharist into something. It's not the Eucharist does not save us. The Eucharist reassures us yeah. The Eucharist consoles us. The Eucharist is indeed where God's grace is present. It is indeed where we receive that promise of God's presence. But the Eucharist as such. That's why when I said earlier that I would like to have the Eucharist on my on my deathbed, hopefully a long time from now. Yeah, let's not rush to that. That's let's fine. not rush to let's that. that. Yeah. But but that's why I want it on my deathbed, not because I believe the the Eucharist is necessary for my salvation, but because I want that final word of assurance before I die and I want it in a tangible physical way. Yeah. And so yes, you can have it that way, but it's not necessary. I mean in the in the story of Christ in the in the room with the disciples, he doesn't break out they do share a and meal the, no you're bread right and the, and the wine he breathes on them the the breath of life going back to genesis 2 7 where god breathed into adam the breath of life he breathes upon them the 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 breath of the new creation and we and we go from there so i guess part of the this discussion actually this whole discussion is really helping me understand what what i think more deeply is at stake here yeah. and i guess what i worry about is two things are two things number one I worry that this method of celebrating the Eucharist or as you're putting it, which I really like, you've mentioned this uh, before the the episode that we're recording here, these kind of sacramental echoes. I think that is beautiful language. But what I worry about is that, number one, it encourages individualism. Yes, yeah, that I it's about me that and my personal Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which as you right. know is not biblical. But second, I think it elevates the Eucharist in a way that is potentially a little dangerous.
0: Well, and maybe it becomes idolatrous then. I mean that's what I mean. Made yeah. an idol out of the Eucharist. Yeah, for sure. i I think being aware of those pitfalls, I proceeded with, you know, the the plan that I laid out. And hopefully not a way that would elevate in an idolatrous fashion, the the Eucharist, but, you know, emphasizing the, the connection, the, um, you know, I think what, what those disciples experienced in the upper room was a real tangible encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. And yeah, they didn't break bread, but in in some way that is the heart of what we proclaim when we offer communion is an experience and an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. And um. So, you know, back to your question, I mean, what would I say if that's sacramental or sacraments? Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I don't, I always wonder about this. Maybe it, if it's, um, if this is just healthy differentiation or just incredible apathy, I'm not really worried about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess my concern is, and, and why I communicated with my church recently about the congregation recently about this is ultimately sure. It's pastoral. I, I I just don't want people to take away ideas regarding the Eucharist that might not be helpful. Ultimately that might be detrimental in particular to community. I, I guess as well, theologically, even though I think the, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm quite persuaded by the, understanding of eucharist that emphasizes the communal part of it that it's about the sharing that we do in 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 christ's name that is that that helps confirm his presence among us but i uh but i don't want to let go of those physical t- tangible elements and i i think what i hear in your position is a kind of middle way yeah i think so i mean i'm
0: trying yeah
1: i think so be- because you're still you're still separating out the office of minister yes. by saying I have been the one who has been called for the sake of good order, not because you're different or special, but for the sake of good order to administer the sacraments. That is fundamental to the call. That is, I mean, as you told me when I started ministry, that's how you, that's how you play, uh, pay, pay the rent. clerical rent. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> it's, it's through the administration of the sacraments yeah. and the preaching of the, of the gospel. Yeah. I think in that regard, you have preserved that, and you have also, instead of talking about it strictly as a sacrament, speaking of it as sacramental echoes, I think what you have done is really carved a middle way. I think the the, the other extreme is that you are not necessary when it comes to the consecration of the bread and the wine yeah. as pastor, right. and uh, and it is a sacrament, uh, when people celebrate it in their homes and I assume whether they are by themselves or with other people
0: well and then I think one you know as Paul had a you know one of his responses to the Corinthians was they were abusing the meal they were excluding people it became these kind of dinner parties and I think that's um, you know, What we want to avoid that's a pitfall certainly where it becomes these exclusive clubs or meals and uh then the the sacrament can become abusive exclusive and um, certainly a pitfall that we want to avoid
1: well let me let me ask you this question uh, uh and maybe we'll make it uh one of the final questions here i would like to know if you believe that we are in an emergency situation which is to say that because of the circumstances lay people can administer the sacraments just like for example uh there's an early reformation art piece of philip melanchthon who is martin luther's right-hand man and melanchthon who was a lay person he wasn't an ordained minister is performing a baptism yeah we all know of stories where people will maybe not we all know but but some some of us have heard of stories where in in a particular uh dire set of circumstances somebody will perform a baptism and i guess my question to you is, do you think this is an emergency situation that justifies the celebration of the Eucharist apart from the, uh, the role of a minister? I think it's a unique situation. It seems critical.
0: I don't know if it's an emergency. It's not something that, I mean, if we go back to being able to have regular gatherings, I wouldn't then continue to do um, online Eucharist. Um, so maybe that answers your question a little bit, but I also think it's a moment of opportunity, and, a, and it's an appropriate moment to exercise the priesthood of all believers to empower the laity in these moments to be extensions of the table. Maybe that's a slippery answer to your question.
1: No, I wouldn't say it's slippery. i i I like the I like the idea. I guess I guess what I think is that. Is that this is an opportunity for us to to go without a little longer sure. uh, in a way that I think might help cultivate uh, an even deeper appreciation of the sacrament, and yeah. so I it's I, certainly a
0: teaching opportunity, right? I think you and I both agree on that, one hundred percent. Is this is a yeah. great teaching environment for us to educate the people that we serve, right? To maybe more thoroughly understand what what is the meaning of Eucharist and and good times and urgent or critical times anytime. I mean, what are we right. doing we to do this?
1: And it, it raises all kinds of questions about the role of community in the celebration of the, of the sacrament. And I, what I appreciate about your view it, and, and what I found really persuasive is how nuanced it is. I, yeah. I really do like this talk of sacramental echoes. And I, I wonder if that would be helpful for, for other uh, pastors and for parishioners to, to grapple with is, Maybe we're doing something here that echoes our life together in person. Totally. um, uh, And at the same time provides the kind of reassurance the sacrament is supposed to provide, while still acknowledging that there is a a, a method or an order by which we celebrate this, and that indeed the in-person celebration of communion is to be preferred, specifically in part because it not only encourages communion, the community to gather around the sacrament to be present as Christ at the table, but also reminds us of how important the physicality of this world is when it comes to God's uh, communication of God's presence to us. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. I also think
0: this is forcing the church and this is probably a longer conversation that we want to tackle right at this moment, but I think this is also forcing the church to, deal with a new medium. And our faith is always mediated, whether it's the spoken word or the written word. And now we have these opportunities for a new medium of the virtual word. And so what's the efficacy of that medium and how do we grapple with that as this, and for some strange reason, this coronavirus uh, crisis has really demanded the church grapple with
1: yet another medium through which our faith is conveyed. That, I think, is worthy of another episode. <laughs> yeah, let's so, not go there now. <laughs> thank, yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks to uh, to uh, Pastor Mark Griffith here of, of St. Luke's Lutheran in Bellevue for being with us for this episode of God for Grownups. Don't forget to uh, subscribe to the podcast and leave comments. And feel free to check
0: us out at youtube.com forward slash St. Luke's Lutheran Church.
1: And don't forget to check out our weekly service word out a 30 to 40 minute audio service that includes a hymn of the day prayers of the church and a special homily you can find word out on our website queenannelutheran.org hey mark thanks for being here i always enjoy our
0: conversations thanks for having me